0: Worshiping with you this morning. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you so much to allow us to gather together in your name with your people. We thank you for the songs of the redeemed that we have sung this morning, songs about our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that it is by his blood. And, and through his salvation that we come in together to, to worship, to build up the saints, to, um, to encourage one another to, as we see the day approaching. Help us, God, to, as, as you hold on to us, help us to draw near to you. Help, help, help us as the gospel takes deep root into our heart to believe you more and more. Father, we believe. We ask that you would help our unbelief. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to you as our Father, the only only king in the universe who never sleeps, who never slumbers, who doesn't even fold his his hands or nod off to sleep. We can approach you at any time and in any any place. We can come to you and you hear us. Who else has this privilege to go to a king, the king of the universe at any time of the day, at any place in the universe, and you hear us? You hear our prayers, you see us, and you remember us. And so we come to you as your people, and we we want to be asking you for the things that you want us to ask you for. So we come to you giving you praises and ask that you, would please bear fruit from our time, the time that we have spent with our families over Thanksgiving, the conversations we've had, and uh, and the the time of, of just being with each other. Would you bring fruit from those intentional conversations in meeting places? And God, would you help us to remember that Thanksgiving is not just a holiday once a year, but it is it is an expression of the Christian heart who has who has been redeemed. And we pray that you'd make us more and more thankful. And God, we do thank you for the gift of Thanksgiving, the, the day we celebrate together. So please use that. Bear fruit in our own hearts that we might think more of you, bear fruit in our families' hearts that they might think more of you as well. God, we pray for those whom the holidays are difficult and for whom it makes life a little bit harder and unbearable, we pray that you'd be near them, O oh God. Those who have broken families or broken hearts or are lonely, you say you are near to the brokenhearted, and we ask that you would be even closer to those of us who struggle during the holidays. We ask that you would you would turn them this holiday, this holiday season into uh, into times where we can shout for joy even through our lament. Help us to weep with those who weep and to have joy with those who have joy. Give us the mind of Christ our Savior, we pray. Let let his mind dwell in us, even, even now, even this morning and throughout our lives. We pray that it would... Your mind, O Christ, would would be in us in such a way that we are giving of ourselves, that we are not thinking of ourselves, that uh, we don't think much of ourselves, we think much of others. That it would be that we would have the mind of Christ Jesus that did not hold on to his place near God, his identity as God, but made himself a servant humbled himself even to the lowest place to take on human flesh even unto death the death of a cross and we pray that you would help us to have that mind in us god we also pray for all all people you you commanded us to pray for all people it's this is good and well pleasing in your sight that people across the world in different countries and different places and even near us would would know you and be saved and God, you said this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to know you and to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We want to see your name cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, to be in people, to be people, to be transformed by the good news of the gospel. And we ask that you would do that through the through the telling from our mouths, through the telling of the mouths of Christians who are in hard places and like China and India and in Asia in general, we ask that you would help them be the kind of people, our brothers and sisters, be the kind of people that would, would love and love with their words and their deeds. And God, we ask that, we, we just want to thank you that we are not the only church in town that preaches the gospel, that the kingdom is bigger than the branch, and that you are doing a work through other churches here. And we ask that you would continue to, to build up this place through the churches you have planted here. And we ask that you would um, help those who are our partners in the gospel out of a pure heart to preach the gospel, um, our, our dear friends all over Uh, This city and in Albany and up and down the I-5 corridor up into Portland, God, we ask that you would make a name for yourself in these churches and that those people that don't know you would come into those into our assemblies and they would see that that God is real and that God is among us. And we pray that Jesus Christ would be made plain today as we open Your Word, as we behold You through Your Word, that You would open our minds up to Jesus Christ, that you would make him plain to us and beautiful to us as he is. And we ask all of these things, praying that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and the king of kings. Amen. We're going to start a, 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 a little differently this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time while I, while I read the scripture passage this morning, and then I'll let you be seated. When, when we're done and I say the word of the Lord, I want you to respond with thanks be to God. So um, let's just practice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're going to do that after I read. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. What a story that we just read. What a story. For Christians, this is is more than a myth. This is where myth becomes fact, as C.S. Lewis wrote in God in the Dock. The story of the Bible is the story of the impossible. It is a true story behind every myth. There are certain myths that make your heart cry out for it to be true. You remember in Blind Witch in the Wardrobe, it was always winter and never Christmas and their heart wanted it to be Christmas and when you heard the sleigh bells, your heart feared that it was the witch, but it wasn't the witch, it was Father Christmas bringing presents for, for the four kings and queens of Narnia. If your heart longs for the redemptive arc of all good stories to be true, it may be, it may be that there is a true story that all good, made-up stories are pointing to. The virgin birth, the, the foretelling of the virgin birth, is not only a fundamental Christian truth, it is the true myth that makes all other myths believable. Last week, Gage preached for us and did an excellent job of preaching Luke 1, 5 through 25. And we saw in that text that God is faithful to keep his promises, even to the unlikely and the unbelieving. And as Luke's narrative continues now in verses 26 through 38, in the foretelling of Jesus' birth, we we see the angel annunciating, announcing that the Messiah will be born, the one of whom the whole story of the Bible revolves around. Jesus the Christ, the hero of heroes, Jesus. John the Baptist was the unlikely child born of unlikely parents to herald the news of this hero, this king. And God's grace, friends, is so amazing that he is faithful to fulfill his promises even to the unlikely and unfaithful like Elizabeth and Zechariah and the unlikely and unfaithful like us. So, if the foretelling of John's birth was one of fulfilling his promises to the unlikely and faithful, the foretelling of Jesus' birth is the story of God fulfilling his promises in impossible ways. He says, With God, all things are possible. This is an impossible salvation for an impoverished people. And and in announcing Jesus' birth, God is announcing. Something new that's happening. And he's announcing favor on the fearful through a a sovereign savior. Favor on the fearful through a sovereign savior. Those are the sort of two heads that we're going to, hooks that we're going to hang our thoughts on this morning. The favor on the fearful. Here is God sending the angel Gabriel again. You'll notice in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, with this impossible salvation to an impoverished people, goes to a virgin woman, virgin girl in the city of Nazareth of Galilee. Luke tells us that God sent this angel, his messenger, to this, this little impoverished, unknown town. In Luke is probably writing to mostly Gentile people. So he was he had to announce the region that Nazareth was in so he knew, so people would knew what he knew what he was talking about. It was so obscure and so small that people didn't even know about it. Someone told me this last week that they were going to drain for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I was like, where's Drain? That's in Oregon, near Cottage Grove. I mean, if Cottage Grove is your marker, you know, like drain is not well known. That's what it was like for people to say, Nazareth. That is that's what it would have been mentioned been like if you mentioned Nazareth. Where is that? And as a good historian and writer, Luke knows its obscurity and tells his audience where Nazareth is. It's it's obscurity though is not just a matter of fact for Luke, the historian, the doctor, it contributes to the story itself. God is doing something both beautiful and impossible. He's sending a baby to be born of a virgin, to be the king that sits on David's throne, the king of kings forever. And this one will be born of a woman from Nazareth. Nazareth. What's so great about Nazareth? You never hear of people taking a vacation to Nazareth. But Nazareth's obscurity heightens the impossibility of what God is doing. If God can raise up a prophet out of Nazareth, surely he can save the world from their sins. God was doing something great. Why not Jerusalem? Why not somewhere known? Why not the city of of peace, the city where King David ruled? No, in an obscure place called Nazareth, God is going to do the impossible. He's going to raise up his own son, born of a virgin, to save the world. He's not only doing it in an obscure place, he's he's doing this with an obscure woman, Mary, the virgin. We don't know how old Mary was, but we know that she was a young girl, And, and Luke is contrasting these two stories. They probably really should be read together of of Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. Even their responses are supposed to be contrasted. But while Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren and old, and it was unlikely that they would ever have a child. Some would say impossible, but not impossible if you read the whole story of the Bible. Sarah certainly was probably old, as old or older than Elizabeth was, and, and, she, and she became pregnant. So it was unlikely, but not impossible. But here, never before and never again will a virgin conceive and bear a son. She was young enough not to have had sexual relations with the man. She says that herself later on in this text. Uh, be, be, behold, how will this be, uh, since I know not a man, since I am a, a virgin? She's, she's also engaged to a man named Joseph, just heightening the whole impossibility of the whole thing. Who, who, Joseph was from the same tribe as King David. He was of the house of David, and she was betrothed or engaged to this man. It's a serious commitment in Jewish culture. And Mary is an unknown girl in an obscure town engaged to a carpenter. The carpenters are kind of cool in our day, but they were kind of on the, the low rung in, in Jesus' day. I wasn't supposed to be funny, sorry. <laughs> I kind of have trouble with that. Uh, but he was a carpenter. He, he, you know, he wasn't a hipster. He was living hand to mouth. He, he didn't know where his next meal was coming from, but he was engaged to this young virgin named Mary. And the angel shows up. And this is just impossible. There's no way that this should ever happen or could ever happen. And I mention all of this because Mary, I want you to know that Mary understood Gabriel to be saying that she was gonna become, become pregnant before she and Joseph got married. She wasn't a country bumpkin that didn't know how babies were born. She, she didn't say, you know, after Gabriel... Gave his announcement. She didn't say, I always wondered how babies were born. Oh, they, they come from an angel. An angel brings them. No, that, that was not her response. She, she knew the severity, uh, the impossibility of what was about to happen. She knew she would get pregnant after she and Joseph got married, after the engagement phase was over. And, and they came together as husband and wife. She wasn't a country bumpkin. She, she knew all of this, and, and it troubled her. And it even troubled her before she knew what was going to happen. The very greeting in verse 29. Greeting, oh, favored one. And Luke tells us this very greeting troubled her soul. Imagine, it just proves to us that an angel coming uh, and announcing something, even such as this, wasn't a normal thing. It was a troubling thing. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But here, God was announcing his favor on the fearful ones. Fear is Zechariah and Mary's response to Gabriel. We see it in Zechariah's response last week. And we read the same word from Gabriel. Do not be afraid. It's one of the most oft-repeated commands in the Bible. Don't fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid, because you have found favor with God. The word favor here is, is actually the word grace. You have found grace with God. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God is being gracious to Mary as he has been gracious to us to hear the word of the gospel. She is a, she is a godly woman who God shows favor to. This is not a, a merited favor. It is a free gift. It doesn't take away her godliness or her, her purity. She was all of those things, and that should not be uh, thought less of. But this was not a merited favor. This was a free gift of God. That's what this word grace always means. It's, it's, it's a free gift from God. You have been favored, Mary this greeting troubled her. So Gabriel repeats the grace. You you, Mary, are not only the favored one, and she asked the a, a question a, a, a question. Um, no, he, he says, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And she later on asks the question, how will this be? But he tells her that she has found favor with God. God Gabriel repeats this word of grace to her twice. She knows so, so that she may no longer be afraid. One of the evidences that God is bestowing grace on Mary is that she will conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. This would have been trouble for Mary, humanly speaking, she, she knew that the angel was announcing that she would become pregnant before she was married. As I said before, an engagement period was very sacred and, and meant a lot in the Jewish culture. And to become pregnant by somebody else during the time of engagement meant that you could be executed by Jewish law. This meant trouble for Mary. This meant all kinds of things. But God is keeping his promises in impossible ways, not only by bestowing favor on the fearful, but by sending the Messiah. The angel Gabriel not only foretells a virgin birth, but that this virgin-born son would be the long-awaited Messiah. And what follows is a, is a description of the promised Messiah. God is announcing favor on the the fearful. And in this description we have before us, Luke sets out a a bunch of themes that he will then develop. He will further develop in the book of Luke Acts, in this two-part series called Luke Acts. So we're not going to have time to dive deeply into everything uh, Gabriel says, because Luke is actually going to do that as he walks us through the narrative of Jesus. But we, we are going to touch on each of these things that Gabriel says about this sovereign Savior. How, how is he going to bestow favor on the fearful? He's going to do it through a sovereign Savior, the sovereign God, the Son of God who came to save. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And in his kingdom, there will be no end. So in recording this speech of Gabriel, Luke encapsulates these themes that he's going to develop throughout these books. Luke wants the readers to know that Jesus is God and man. He is God become man, come down to save humanity. And so his name will be called Jesus, Joshua, Yahweh saves. Uh, This is... This is uh, through, throughout the Old Testament. We see Yahweh coming to save his people time and time again, even when they don't deserve it. And, that, and now, finally, he will come in human flesh to, to put an end to all his people's sins and save them. Notice, he will, he will be the one that saves them. Matthew tells us in, in his account that you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's no doubt about this. He is going to do it, and the work that he does will complete it. And he can only do it because he's both God and man. He will, he will be great and the Son of the Most High. God as his father, Mary as his mother, Joseph as his adoptive father. He will be in the line of the king. David, and, and and he says further on, he will be the king of Israel forever. He, he will be the, the king of Israel forever. He, he, as the son of God, the son of man, came to fulfill exactly what the king was supposed to do. Whatever king pointed to, he came to do that, to do away with his people's enemies, both sin and and Satan and death, he came to take care of all of those enemies, but he would do it in a a strange way, as a baby, through his life, as a grown man, in his suffering, humiliation, death on the cross, and resurrection. This king would reign from the cross, conquering the sins of his people. And this is how he will reign forever. In his first coming, he came to save his people from his sins. In his second coming, he will do away with all sin and Satan, and they will be no more. And his kingdom, starting starting here as the sovereign son of God, born of a virgin Mary, his kingdom, starting here, will have no end. His kingdom shall have no end. So, dear friend, if you want to be on the right side of history, If you want to be on the right side of politics, bow your knee to the king of kings. He's the only one that really matters. He's the only one that has final authority. His kingdom shall have no end, and he will reign over Israel. He will reign over his people forever. This is the most high son of God. Now, friends, this is not just uncommon news. This was impossible news. Every every parent thinks their children are going to be something special, right? I mean, just talk to them. When you know, when our when our kids are toddlers, they're like, oh, they're they're pretty bright, you know, like they 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 kind of get it, and they're going to be something special. All of us do it, and if when, if you have kids, you will do the same thing. And, and maybe it's true, but none of none of the parent boasting is like this. You're going to be the son of the most high God. You you are going to be a king forever. No parent would ever, I mean, yeah, president maybe, but king forever? Oh, no, this is impossible news. We all have high hopes and dreams for our kids, but this was not that. God was promising that he was going to send his very own son to become a man by going through the process of growing in the womb of a virgin, And he will become king forever. Now this is both supernatural and natural. It's both both miraculous and natural. His conception would be supernatural, but his natal development and birth would be very ordinary and natural. So I I love the song Silent Night, but friends, it was not a silent night when he was born. If you've ever been in in a a birthing center or in, in the room when someone's given birth, it's not silent, but this, friends, through the, through the pain of a, a natural birth and through the, through the ignominy of being born in a, a stable, the sovereign Son of God came as a humble baby in the incarnation. Now, we talked about this at the beginning. This is the true myth, right? Right? The Greek pantheon of gods included mortal-born heroes and heroines who, who were elevated to godhood through a process the Greeks called, they termed, apotheosis. And, and, and some, some of these humans who became gods received their privilege as a reward for their benefactions to mankind or through marriage or by luck or by chance, but never by a god humbling himself to become a servant we, we shouldn't, we, we, we don't need to be ashamed of the, the myth like telling of this story. Be, because, because behind every myth, I'm not saying these Greek myths were true, but, but they're trying to explain something that they want to be true. The Greek gods were constantly impregnating women in Greek mythology, but this is not that. God did not come down to, to have relationships with, with Mary in the way the Greek gods did with the princes and princesses, we are told that God would miraculously come upon her. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We're not to think anything improper here. The word overshadow, we should, our minds should go back to Exodus 40 when God came down on the temple and his presence and his glory filled the temple and everyone could see the glory filling the temple. Something new was happening. And the result of his presence would be that Mary would become pregnant with Jesus and still be a virgin. Not sexually, but miraculously. Miraculously. And as I said before, Mary was not a country bumping. She knew all of this, and it meant trouble for her. So how would she respond? Would she respond like Zechariah? Would she ask a que- Zechariah asked the question, how will I know this is the case? The question wasn't wrong. Mary asked, how will this be since I have never known a man? The question is not wrong. It's the heart of, it's the belief, the faith behind it that is difference here. Zachariah did not believe. The angel said, for your unbelief, you're going to be mute for a time. Notice Mary's response. And, and as the first response of faith, it sets the tone for what a disciple should, how a disciple should respond to God, to impossible news of an impossible salvation, How should they respond? Mary says, in response to this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. A quiet, humble acceptance by faith that God is going to do what he says he will do even when it looks unlikely or impossible. This is the response God expects and demands. The only proper response to the message of an impossible, impossible salvation is, I believe. I am the servant of the Lord. So let it be to me according to your word. This is the response of faith, dear friends. And this is the response the gospel is meant to elicit from you if you do not believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I believe I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She didn't fully understand everything that was going to happen to her. She said, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be. This news could only make her life more difficult in the immediate. She would be with child before she was married. That was grounds at best for divorce or breaking of the engagement. At worst, it meant execution. And she said, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be. This most likely would ruin her reputation as a godly, God-fearing woman. But she said, let it be. So dear friend, if you are not a Christian, this impossible salvation is offered to you. One that you do not deserve and you could never earn. A virgin-born son of God became a man and lived a perfect life. Suffered and died under Pontius Pilate a horrific death that you deserved. He rose again from the dead so that you, he could offer you free grace and eternal life. And you must receive this grace with open hands of faith. Let it be. This is not a resigned faith like the the old song, let it be, let it be. No, this is a let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Dear Christian, the good news makes us servants of the Lord. This impossible news is for an impoverished people like us. And this whole account, this whole uh, rendering of the foretelling of Jesus' birth is to make you ask the question, do you believe that God can do what he says even when it is impossible? Do you believe? Do you believe that that God will see you through the struggle you're in right now because you're his child even though it looks impossible? He is a God of his word. And what he demands, what he expects of his disciples is I believe I repent of my unbelief, and I believe I keep turning to you. Oh, dear friend, this is good news of great joy to all people. This is a God who can do the impossible, and he does the impossible so so that no one might boast of salvation. No one can say, I earned this salvation. Mary couldn't say, I earned this salvation. No, this was done to her and is done to us by the goodness of God. Friends, this is an impossible salvation given to impoverished, impoverished people like you and I. God wants us to respond in faith. So how will you respond? Turn to him and have joy.